I have, I was born with a, uh, with this syndrome. It's called congenital mirror movement syndrome. And what it is, is that my hands, they, they correspond with the opposite hands. So in other words, if I move a, a ring finger, my ring finger on the other hand moves. When it, did you it, notice this? When did this? Well, it was in my family, it, my, which is odd because it, it doesn't seem to have affected my, uh, my nephews and nieces or their children. So it, it seems to have, I thought maybe it skipped a generation, but it's totally skipped uh, two generations. My father had it, and uh, my oldest brother has it, and my sister has it, and I have it, and nobody else has it. And uh, severity, uh, I don't remember it. I don't remember my situation being, uh, uh, it was, I always remember being the same thing. It might have been more severe. Uh, but when I don't play guitar for a while, or I don't play an instrument, um, that's when I notice it just takes a little bit more adjustment. You know, I can't really go into, you know, playing a certain style of music that requires me to have some independence. So I have to work on that. And, and it's not like, oh, I should really work on a forward roll or back roll or work on a Scott Joplin piano rag piece. No, it's not like that at all. It's not, and I, oh, damn, it's gotten bad. It's just what it is. It's what I grew up with. And it's just, uh, you know, the hand moves, they just correspond. So they, it, that's all it is. Like they mirror, each finger is mirrored. The thumb is mirrored, the first finger index, all are mirrored. So when you play, if you do something that's a stretch on your left hand, your right hand stretching. If you play something intricate with your right hand, excuse me, your left hand is, is doing it. That's, it's really simple. And it's really, really, really rare. And it's very rare to have it as severe as I have and to be considered uh, uh, not disabled because that is, that is a, that's usually what it is. And there's support, I, I actually, I didn't really know the name of it to tell you the truth until my parents had it wrong. They called it something else. And then, then, then a, a friend of mine, he said I had a thing called synechinesis, which was, which was a brain trauma. And I don't think I have that. Uh, so I went, I went with the great web. I, I discovered what it was. And uh, then I found all these support groups of people who have it. And the, the worst it really was that people were just the laughing stock at a party. They would do their little trick. Right. They would grab one thing and people watched the hand mirror what the, what the hand was doing. And a lot of the things that was said, which I find really funny, is one of the... I, and I, didn't, I never chimed in. You know, I, I, just, I was curious. You know, it was nice to see there was a tribe of people out there who had what I had because nobody, I, no other than my my family, I've never heard of this. My doctors have never heard of it. Nobody's ever heard of it. And so, um, they would. There was always a remark about how well you know I have it. It's not a problem. I mean, I just, I could just never play guitar. That's what the remarks would be. You know, but if you don't know about that. You just play guitar like everybody else, every other kid does. You pick up a guitar and you don't go, why is it so hard? It is what it is because you had, you had the same problem doing your shoelaces. You had the same problem with the baseball. You hold the baseball with one hand and your other hand has to be in a glove. But when you're throwing the ball, your hand's moving with the glove. And, I, I, and you, nobody tells you that. That's natural. You know, you scratch your head, you, your other hand is air scratching. You reach in the fridge, you grab a, 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 
the jar of mayonnaise. The other hand is reaching for an invisible jar of mayonnaise. That's just the way it is. It's not like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. No, it's, you don't, you know, you, I, didn't, I didn't wake up to the condition. It was always in, in me. So it was, it's never been, I don't see it being a benefit or even a detriment. I don't see it being either. I, it's just what it is. It's just who I, who I am. It's what my body does. I can, I, can, I can wax poetic about how it made me form this way of playing guitar. I, and I can look at that and I can see, oh, I can see why that would work out. Certain styles of guitar, I can get that. I can see how that can really... But it's a, you know, and I believe that to be true, but it's not, not, not the thing that would make me any special. Or but it never stopped you from doing it. No, because I love music. I love music, so it wasn't, uh, never a sense of, nothing was going to keep me away from that. Is playing piano more difficult because of that? Well, I'm not a piano player, so I didn't take it that far. So I didn't really, but I, a piano, you just, my brother who has it severely, severely, my oldest brother, he's a really good accordion player, and he and he has an independence galore. He not not accordion where all you play is the right hand. I mean, I'm talking about button, right. where he has independence, and he and yet when you watch him, it's it's unbelievable. His hands are are really contorted. They're constantly contorted. They're, they're, they're they look like he's in pain. He's not in pain. I know exactly because I have the same thing, but him. So he he just didn't know. He, he studied with some really good accordion guys. And uh, they never, he just worked hard. Uh, I guess he, in retrospect, he'd probably say, oh, that's why I didn't, I couldn't grasp that concept, that physical concept. And maybe me as well, but I don't know. I, I, my interests were never in, I, I didn't want to become a flamenco guitar player. Mm-hmm. You know, I love it. But I had other things, other fish to fry. You know, and uh, I love classical guitar, but it was just other things that were were in that way. Like I just that didn't require me to really, you know. And and and, and I don't think I would have noticed it. I think I just would have said, "Well, it is what it is." And it's a, it's like kind of like when you have to start wearing glasses, and somebody says, "Hey, I got some music for you to read," and you can you can easily say, "Oh, I wish I could read that music, but I I, I don't have my glasses." Right. right. You can use that as some sort of but I never did that. I never thought, oh, I wish I could play that, you know, that Merle Travis, Leo Kotke thing you want me to play, but I really can't because I don't have the independence in my hands. I would just do it. I just, I would figure out how to give, if it's something that for myself, I wrote it, I'll work it out. I'll figure out how to do it. And then my body is not telling me that it's foreign because that would mean that at one moment of my life, I had the ability to do it. Whereas it just is what it is. It's just, I've had it from the moment I came out of the womb. So you don't, that's part of my, it's, it, it's in my body. So this love of music, and you're obviously, your brother has it as well. Mm. Does this come from your dad, who was a musician? The love of music? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he came from a long line of musicians. And my mother's family were musicians. So, and I'm youngest of seven. Um, and we're all musicians. Uh, one way or another, uh, and it was a big thing. My dad, my dad had a lot of misery in his life, but but the you know music definitely soothed the savage soul. I saw that with my dad, and when he retired from music for a little bit, he was kind of miserable. And then when he got back into doing music, when he was starting to think about retiring, uh, and he wanted to 
you know, supplementary in income. He thought, well, I'll start playing again. I saw him get really happy again. You know, I was in and out of his life because I was gone. I was living in Toronto. But I'd go home and I'd see, and I could see how excited he was. He'd have, he'd write out all his music. He'd be writing out for musicians that he'd be playing with. And he had a suitcase, a briefcase, I mean. And he'd be soldering cables and, you know, and he was interested. And I could, so I could see that really being a big thing for him when I was growing up. And you want, you always want to be accepted by your father, mm-hmm. you know, boys and their father, you know. And I wanted that. Uh, and then I, uh, and I, so I think that with all of us, there's always that love of music. When did you decide that music was something you wanted to pursue professionally? Um, geez, when did I think I wanted to do that? Like, did the, the, the whole house play music together? Like, yeah, 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 we did that. Yeah, we were in a band. I, I, I joined, I learned an instrument to be in a band with my twin brothers. And uh, so, yeah, I was going to, we were going to, I think, so I'd say, when did I know I was going to do it? Probably at the point where I didn't have anything else that I was interested in. Like, I didn't really, it, it was it was a love of music, but it was also, I didn't really, for a minute, I thought when I was, I was in, I think, grade four or something, I wanted, I thought maybe dentist, I'd be a dentist, I don't know why and then I went to the dentist and they extracted a tooth from my mouth and I thought I'll never fucking do that <laughs> ever, will I become a dentist like it was horrible, I saw I just saw that as being, what was I thinking uh, so I, I think maybe, I started playing at seven, but I think maybe around 11, 10, 11 that's when I knew I was going to do it like I knew that was going to be my life I'm going to play music I loved it. I loved playing music. And what were you playing then? Like what kind of music? Songs that were on the radio. You know, so 1972, 73. I was so into it. We And I was around when the Beatle records came out. Let it be like any beautiful record. I mean, I remember having putting the records on the wall. And I, and I was totally into Americana. I loved Randy Newman. I mean, I, I think I might have been the only kid who I freaked out when I heard Sail Away, 1972. Mm. Uh, I loved that record. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be I want to be a singer in a band. I want to play in a band. And my brothers, we all wanted to be in a band. And uh, we did it, you know. We, yeah, I was singing, you know, three I was singing. I was singing three-part harmony with my brothers. My father would teach us harmony you know that we he tossed with the third and the fifth and who sang the melody and i was always the fifth because i had the highest voice being the youngest and my brother gary was the, the melody and garth was the third and i was the fifth and we we could harmonize to anything we we had a natural ability to harmonize any song my dad could my dad would on long car trips would pick a song say now give me a three-part harmony and we would figure it out and i I remember we went to visit my family in Saskatchewan, my dad's father, my grandfather, and uh, I was nine. And uh, we were listening to the Mills Brothers. And I remember we, were, we could just get into that thing. So we're always singing. So it was always that love. And, and, and like I said, there was misery in, in our, my poor father's life. And I could, but I could see him beaming. He, it made him so happy just to hear us together singing. He he would say, 
it's the heavens. The heavens have opened up. And he hear the three of us singing. He just loved it. And we had a really great pitch. You know, I I was thinking of putting out that, there's a little thing we did. My brothers, I was 10. And it was 1972, 73. And uh, we made it in our basement. We made a recording. And I still think of putting it out. Like, I, because it was so unbelievable. Like, the harmony was great. Like, we were... We were fledgling musicians. I mean, I was a guitar player, and my brother played piano. He still plays piano, and Garth plays drums. He still plays drums, and we were a trio, and we just played all the time, and we were serious about it. We did hours. My parents uh, that trumped homework. You know, they say oh, they're playing there downstairs. We know where they are. Right. You know, and I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so to have your kids, you know, not getting into the dreaded weed or, or alcohol when everybody was doing that. We were just content being in our basement creating this world of music and, and dreaming about world of places where we, music may take us, you know? Like maybe, maybe there's a life outside of this little town that we can, but you gotta get really good. You gotta get really good. That was the thing, you gotta get really good. You can't be, you can't be a, you had to be like a hockey player, you know. The the idea that a hockey player would just skate when the when the snow, I you know, when it snows, that's when they start. You realize, you know, they they're on the ice, three hundred sixty five days a year. They're training and they're training. And I, when I heard that, I thought, that's that's what musicians have to do. You have to always play. It was never a sense of instruments either. Like it was music. We went beyond... But it wasn't work either, right? This was just pure love. It was work at times. It was hard work. It was work because you forfeit your life. You you don't have a life. When you, when you, when you put this on yourself, you don't, have a, you, don't, you don't belong to a minor hockey league. Right. You don't. You don't have time for that. But sorry, at what age are you talking about? You're putting uh, in a lot of work. 10. 10 to the time you leave home, which is 17. That was that's the time where you do the work, right? And then you and then you start working, you start playing, at eight, 17, 18 years old. And there's you know that's you gotta you gotta you're collecting nuts, you know you're getting ready for the hibernation. And it was so all your work was that time when you have the. Not only do you have the love of it, but you also have that great desire to, you know, to be able to fill your. Uh, that 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 bucket list of what you're gonna do, you because I was always really keyed into that. You know, that, that, what am I gonna do? Uh, when I, if I move to this magical place called Toronto, what am I gonna bring to it? What am I gonna do? I'm gonna be good. Gotta, Had you been down here at all? No. God. So it was just I'm gonna go and hopefully there'll be opportunities. That's but you had th- no idea. That's where things happened. You know, Montreal was the same size at the time as Montre- as Toronto. But Toronto seemed to be the mecca of where things were being made. You know, music was coming from. Like, it just seemed to be, if you're going to be a musician, you had to go to Toronto. You know, that's what right. it was. So did you come by yourself or with your brothers? I came by myself. And then you're thinking that you're going to start a band? or Yeah, I thought that. I thought I'd be in a band. And that was my desire, to be in a band. Um, and to be like all the things I dreamt about, you know, being a really good band with really good songs, and you know, that was that was my dream, was that right there. So, 
if I, I'm always interested in like moments in time or milestones. And so moving to Toronto was a huge step for you. Yeah. And how easy was it once you came down here? It was difficult. It was difficult because I came from a small town. And the small town, everybody knew everybody. And there was a sense of uh, northern, you know, that northern hospitality and warmth. Mm-hmm. And you knew everybody. And I, and I went to Toronto. I was immersed into a cold world. It was a cold world. People didn't talk to each other. They didn't know each other. They weren't cold. It's just right. it's just the nature of you don't know you don't know the person sitting next to you on the bus, mm-hmm. and if you start striking up a conversation, they might be kind of odd. But I so that was difficult. I, I, it was a big. It was more people on the Dundas the Dundas Young line than there was in the town I came from. Right. You know. So that was that took some adjustment, but I surely uh, it made up for it when I used to go to sign the record man and I look at that you know I'd be there for hours hours spending what little money I had on records you know I just I couldn't believe it I mean you go into the jazz department the blues department it actually had a whole jazz department it actually had a a warehouse of classical music you know what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. then blues and it had all this beautiful stuff and I would just I and I as much as I can carry, I'd buy and buy, I, and I would go without because I, records were. So Toronto became quickly beautiful. Quickly, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else because it was. And you know, you make your world of warmth. Right. You meet people, and they become your friends because they, because there, there's something in them that reminds you of somebody from your town. You only know what you know, and they're. And they remind you of somebody. They feel comfortable with that those people, and they become part of your world. And that that came pretty quick for me, like feeling accepted, in a weird way, you know, like it. And yeah. did you start a band, or did you just jam? I, I played in bands. I played, I played in bands, um, pickup bands, top forty bands, country bands, uh, avant garde bands, jazz bands. You know, whatever. If they, I didn't say no to anything, and I'm learning a lot. And the goal being just play and make money, to survive. Yeah, survive. You know, because I spent time. You know, there was darkness there. You know, having to, you know, go to a store and not have any money and having to steal, which I did. I'm not proud of it, but I did. You know, I would, I'd see, I just. I'd be, I don't know, it'd be a couple of days I hadn't eaten anything. And I'd go in and I'd see a, a can of salmon and I'd think, easy to take that. A good Catholic boy like I am. I, uh, I'd leave. I didn't, then I'd say, i got to go in there. I have to take it. And I would and then I would bring back money. I'd leave it on the counter like, you know, when I had money. But I would take, and, you know, I don't, I'm not proud of it, but I, you know, it's just the way it went. You know, I was, I saw that there was, there's no way they could catch me, and then I and I had I made a pact that I would bring back the money. You know, I, I wouldn't take it unless I, cause I wouldn't be able to eat it if I knew I couldn't pay it back. And so I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say I owe them. I didn't I didn't take enough that I had to write down the fridge. You know, I would know. You know, and I could stretch that can of salmon for two days, where I would 
have a little bit of pasta and I mix it with the pasta and a little bit of tomato sauce. It'd be beautiful. And I enjoy it and I know I'm going to bring back the money. And I, I did that several times. And did you think that there's no doubt in your mind that you would make it in music and this is the path you want to follow? Like, did you ever think about not doing it or? I still have doubts. Really? Yeah, I still have doubts. Every day I have doubts. I, I have doubts about it and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm a veteran, but I do, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I never, then it was, I can't imagine. I mean, I, it's hard, it's like another lifetime, but it, but I do remember that it was, I was full of uh, insecurity and, you know, and, and not feeling really that I would ever really make a living at it. I wanted to, you know, I didn't take any other jobs. Um, and things came in and I was beat up like everybody else beat up and I would go home and lick my wounds and I would uh, I just had this thing that I I know exactly what I screwed up like I knew it and so I would just practice I'd get home and go why did I mess and I'd work on it I wouldn't go to bed until I was clear in my head as to so what can you give me an example like that, to me well, that sounds like you were in the studio and you messed up or something yeah but... there's that plenty of that uh, there's plenty of live shows where I just didn't know what, was, what to do over something I didn't know what I just felt like I was a bit of a fraud I didn't know a word in the lyrics I didn't really know the chord to that I didn't really know how to really get around it solo-wise? Why does it go that weird chord? And why do I have to feel like I can't get my handle on that? So I would just work on that. i work on it. And I... That's really... You, you can work on things that, that are not part of your world. And it's really great because you might be killing, you know, 50 birds with one stone. But... It's much better to do it when you know, because in those days it was a five night, you work five nights a week. So you got a Wednesday where you really were bad. Then you, it's okay to say, the, the guy's going to, the leader's going to pull out those songs again on Thursday, and I'm going to just nail it. I, I have to get that together. Because I won't be able to work next week. He's going to fire, I'm going to get fired. Uh, and it was definitely probably a lot more magnifying than it really was. It probably wasn't as bad, but you're in your own, you're only in your own brain. Right. You know, I can't, I can't at this juncture of my life think that was wrong to think that because it really did. It was my education. It was a way that I learned about music. Was that for fear of not being able to work and for fear of not being able to, you know, put food on the table and pay my rent, and pay the bills that you have to survive. And I didn't want to work in Sam the Record Man. I didn't want to do that. I loved it. I wouldn't love it that much more if I had to go there and work there every day right. and see musicians come in and and wish I had that. So I really, there was nothing wrong with it. Uh, I probably had applications galore. I probably had, I probably had got an application. For, but I, it just worked out absolutely lucky that I, somebody would call me. It was luck. I just got lucky. And somebody would call, can you do this? And I think, no. But my answer would be, yes. I don't, I don't want to do it. I'll do it. You sure? No, I don't want to do it. Yes, I'll do it. You, your inner voice is pretty quiet. And you, when you're young, you can act. Your face can act 
you, you learn how to, you know, get older, you people could, oh, you don't want to do it. <laughs> I can you could see it in your face. Oh, you're young. You can right. say, oh, no, like, that's great. Yeah, I want to do that. I want, I want to work at it. Can I ask you, yeah. at that stage in your life, did you have some somebody you looked up to or you modeled yourself after you, or you hoped to reach that certain level? Like, was it like that? Or did you, like, did you have a goal in mind? Yeah, I, uh, I always loved leaders. I loved, like, I was a huge, huge fan of Bob Dylan. Like, I love Bob Dylan. And I imagined, I just love that. Like, I loved, I would listen to, to his records a lot and I love the players on his record I just imagine this world of you know I don't know my, uh, that that would be good for me like to, to I couldn't be Bob Dylan I knew that but I just thought if I imagine if I could write a song like that that was pretty inspiring to write because I found it really beautiful and it was it was really emotional to listen to that stuff like the really and I you and, and to 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 get the art of it. And uh, there's all those guys. There was John Prine, again, Randy Newman, uh, Bob, Tom Waits, you know? Mm-hmm. Tom Waits early on, too. I mean, ne- he never did anything bad. Small change in 1972, I think his first record came out. It was probably bootleg stuff before that. But he made beautiful records, and I loved every every bit of that. And then... And I like those bands. I liked, uh, like I told you, I liked Johnny Winter. I loved Todd Rundgren. Loved him. And I love Little Feet. I just love that way that guy sang so much. And I love the words uh, a lot. So that was a big inspiration. It all For me, it was all compositional. Like I love, that's what really got me going, was that. To hear a really good song. So are you writing at this point? Yeah, I was writing. I was always writing. I, I mean, first time I picked up the guitar and wrote a song. It was stupid. <laughs> but it was a song. I wrote, I wanted to learn, I, I learned a chord and I wrote a song. Right. You know, don't know it. But I, yes, I love, I love that. The, the idea of creation was like you didn't have anything and all of a sudden you have something. That was a great thing. Was there, so the dark times when, when you could barely put food on your table uh-huh. to a certain level of success what was that like what what happened that things got easier well you know it was it was people pulling you from darkness you know there's, there's you have friends who were pulling you from your own your own uh, you know your own shallow grave you know people that were telling you that you meant something to them you know, musically or otherwise. And that, and you felt part of a, a fellowship, a kinship to them. And and also hearing that you weren't alone, that yeah, you stole salmon, so did I. You know, mm-hmm. I did that. You did that? Yeah, well, yeah, man, I had to do that. Did you ever do this? I did that. Did you? No, wow. You immediately have this kinship. So that opened up. And then I just... I don't want to say the, the jobs got better because I had jobs at the Cabana Room above the uh, Spadina Hotel that were amazing. I had to pay the sound man. Like, we didn't have anybody there. There was more people on stage than in the audience. Those were the best gigs of my life. So that was a great gig. And then I gigs got better as far as 
being able to somebody I didn't have to share a room with somebody and then I was this is me as a sideman right mm -hmm. and I would work I would go on the road and I'd work with uh, whoever and I and I that that doesn't make something better but it, it makes it it makes you seeing the world a little bit more enjoyable when you can retreat to your own world and go to your room and there's not you're not sharing it with the drummer or the right. bass player right. and so but they're all and there was really good work I got so that changed so that that I don't know if that answers your question but I, I definitely felt that that was a that was an interesting migration from, people kept calling you yeah I get calls yeah people called me it, it wasn't when it happened it happened quickly you know, when it happened, it happened quickly, and and uh, and I worked, I worked, and I gave everything. I gave everything I had to it. Like I really, I tried my best to give them everything I could possibly give them. That I that I nothing I and that, in those days too, Marco, it was a sense of ownership that you know don't you know if you give something, if somebody gives you a a song to play on and you suggest a uh, lyric twist or you say yeah, the keys in C and uh, what, if, what if you go to A minor well there was a moment where people would actually want to get a piece of the writing from it and I thought that was I thought that was crazy that you know I, I just thought if they hire you that's what you should do you should you should help you know, my dad used to say to me that if you, for God's sakes, if you see somebody who can't carry the groceries, help them and hold the light for them. Hold the light for them so they can see. Like, do, you know, he literally meant light, like a flashlight, mm -hmm. actually. I don't mean like the, <laughs> I'm making my father would be a, this guru. But, but that, there was that thing of, oh, you should do that. You should, but I really thought that that's part of the, Part and parcel with with working is that you give everything and you don't ask for stupid things like a five percent credit on because I suggested a chord when somebody was in a bush writing the song about their divorce <laughs> I should get five percent because I said well go to A minor right. you know so yeah so I gave everything to that like I totally believe that it was part of the, pro the producer hired me and I'm going to assist in him or her. To get the job done, to make everybody happy and make it the best it could be, and I, I you know, I, I, I love that job. Actually, I thought that was really cool. Not everybody was like that, actually, mm -hmm. but I did. I was always like that. I felt it was they make the project really great if you took it on as being something that you were also a really big part of. What do you think made you hireable, or why? At what point people start hiring you a lot more? Why is that? I'm I'm kind. I'm kind. I, I'm a kind person. That's it. I'm kind. Like I, I'm kind. Kind personally or musically. Every way. I'm kind. Like I, I my my natural my natural uh, my go to is kindness. I'm a kind person. I I'm, and I. People want to be around me because I'm kind. And I, I'm that's it. That's really it, you know. And I think that you, everything comes from that. 
you can say that you're kind and not feel you're being braggadocious because that's not such a bad trait to have. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's that's a nice thing to say about yourself that you're kind, and I, I don't have to uphold that because it is in my nature to be kind. I'm just a kind person. My mother was kind, and uh, my name means kind. You know, I'm kind. I, I, and I'm, and I think that you want to be around somebody like that for twelve hours a day. <laughs> you don't mind being in a tour bus with somebody who's kind, right? Who's who, who knows. Anything I, I I'm all I would do now when I'm talking to you is just define what kindness is, you know, which is all the things you know, and and uh, you know you don't you're not trying to you're not trying to take advantage of somebody, you know I've never tried to take advantage of anybody, uh, and and if I ever felt that way I knew, like I could see like I've never I've never worked with anybody that was mean, I've had a few. Not great situations, but in comparison to what you could get out there, I've been really lucky, and I and I and and my kindness has paid off. Not in the sense of oh, I've worked with this person. No, because they were kind to me. You know, I and it really could have been that they were always kind too. Mm-hmm. That they're kind. There's a, there's a there's a there's something in a greeting. There's something in the way you take your instrument out of a bag. You know, there's something about the relationship you have with your instrument. There's something about the relationship you have with your amplifier. There's something about the relationship you have with the engineer, the assistant, that is, everybody wants to work with somebody who's kind because they're kind. Because the nature of humanity really is people are kind. They don't really want to, they don't really want to be a prick. You know, it's, it's not it's not very much fun being that person that uh, that is constantly on edge. I, I get why that is. I totally understand why it's a really difficult business. And I can see how, you know, you're scarred, you're beat up. I, get, I completely understand it. But life source suspend is a bit of a suspension. And the suspension is when things are being made creatively. You know, like like we all become kids, you know, and it's, I've seen it with most of the people I've worked with, that there's a bit of that sparkle that this could be, isn't this good, isn't this good, we're all, yeah, it's great. And the, and when things aren't great, you can settle on something that maybe isn't what you planned, but it still will make you happy. And if you can actually um, articulate that in the kindest way you can, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter if if uh, if it's too fast, it's too slow, it's too high, it's too low. You know, it it it, it it's it doesn't sound. It's not. It's too compressed. It's not compressed enough. It doesn't really matter. Actually, it just matters that you really had your eyes closed during it. You know, and you were into it. You gave yourself to it. And you and you had a nice parting kiss, a nice firm handshake, a nice hug, and that's it. You're gone into the world. You know, you came into that way. You should leave that way. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. So I I I've thought about that because you know about about um, my place. You know, and I and then one of the things is when I went to Humber College, I went. I didn't go very long, but I went. And one of my teachers. I loved he uh, 
he told me, he asked me to stay after class. And he said, he said to me that, uh, and I was 17. I was just a kid, right? And he said, you know, there's players in this class. and we, we, You'd have a class in the Humber where it's all guitar players. It's called Like Instrument Workshop. So you'd have 25 guitar players in one room. And, you, and the guy who's teaching is a guitar player. And you talk about guitar. You, and, okay. and I happened to be going to school for guitar. You know, so, and uh, he said, he, he didn't want to tell me this in front of the other kids, he said. And they're kids. He said, uh, but there's guys in this class that will eat you like they're better than you are. But you're going to work more than they ever will because you're kind. Because people want to be around. It's long, arduous task of mm-hmm. making music. It's long. And you're in a room for... You don't see your family. You're gone. You're on a tour for 13 weeks. They're going to... If you're nice and you're kind, they won't. They don't want to lose you because that's more what it's about than getting on the stage and, and uh, you know... It's good to be good, but it's also really good to be kind. And that's what he had said to me. And I thought, why didn't you just say I was a good guitar player? <laughs> I would have I would have preferred that. But he was that I was kind. I thought, oh, that's great. And so a friend of mine said, what did he say? I said, he said I was kind. <laughs> but wasn't that funny? You know, it's, that's, he's right. I'm kind. But I think you're known for your guitar playing or you... There's a certain uniqueness to your playing. Mm. Was that always there? I know it's probably a silly question, but... I don't know. I think so. I mean... Uh, is that a conscious thing, or is that just the way you are, and this is... It's the way I am. I, I think it's... It's the way I hear it, for sure. And do you know it's different than the way other people hear it? No, I don't. I, I, I actually think... I just... Sometimes I, I think... Oh, how can I put this? I feel that at times, at times I've felt that maybe, uh, you know, by what I've been told is that I was, I was outside of the box. And I got that a lot. I was outside of the box. And I started thinking, because I'm outside of the box, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be very popular. Because you need to be more to give them what they want, if they're specific, what they want. And I have an inability to give anybody what they want unless what they want is me, because I can't do it. I mean, I, I just, I can't do it. I, I don't know why, but I, I I could never play the guitar solo from Sweet Home Alabama. I could play it, but I could learn it. But when you start, play the solo, Kevin. I know the solo. I can sing you the solo that the guy plays. I can never play it. I can play it, but I, I could not bring myself to play it. I, I just never had that in me uh, to learn. I would learn a solo because I love the solo. And I would learn it and see the mechanics of the solo and hear what's going on with that you know, the harmony to the, the melody to the harmony. Like, oh, that's neat. He goes there and he goes down to the third of that chord. That's so genius. And I just love it. Am I going to do that? No, because I just can't bring myself to do it. I just felt like a fake. Did that ever get in the way 
Like, so when somebody hired sure. you for his studio work and sure. they said, do this, and you said, yeah. Yeah, I was never popular in certain circles because, I, because I'm not the guy for the job. There's a lot better guitar players for a job where you're sp- specific as to what you want. If you don't, if people didn't know what they wanted, I was the right guy. If you didn't know, if you knew exactly what you want, I may not be the right guy, unless it is me. I like what you play on this. Can you play like something like that? Right. Which is, again is another mistake because I won't do that either. But because <laughs> this is an, it's an inability. It's not. It's not because I have an attitude about it. It's not because I have. Oh, that sucks. And uh, you should get Mike Francis to do that because that's what Mike is great at. Uh, and I, there were records that I did do where I would suggest Mike on it because I wasn't the right guy for it. And I, but I knew that in the conversation on the phone. That I wasn't the guy, and it, and, it, and it's a, there's an art to all that. It, it all works, right? I mean, it, it's it, to have a personality like mine. It works. Like I, I can. It's viable, and I, and I can be uh, helpful and useful to somebody. And and the stuff that other players who could, who can give you specifically what you want that you've written down on the paper. That's great too. Like it's all good. It's just what you feel that what you feel comfortable that you can add to somebody's record. And for me, I just don't. I just I just couldn't. I'm, you know, it's like that line, the Sarah Vaughan line. You know, she said. Uh, she said that uh, that uh, when she walks on the stage, she's Lena Horne. And one minute into the show, she's Sarah Vaughan mm-hmm. because she sweat off all the makeup and. And I think there's something in that, that you're always going to be what you are. If you're not that person, uh, you're not feeling it. You're not, I can't feel it. You know, if somebody plays me a song, I have a real reaction to what they're playing and they're singing. I, I have a, it's moving to me. I hear something that I go, wow, they really poured themselves into that. There's something about the character that I can relate to. Uh, and I try to, bring what I think the character and I'm I've been pretty much right on that one like I've I've done pretty good that way where I've I've read cues very well musical cues where I, I I've made a career off it by trusting my gut feeling on something and and if and I've I've had an incredible audience of people that I've worked with who who not they've hired me to do it and I've been rehired by those people to do it there's been some misses in there too, for sure, but but that's all right because they had a great vision or a vision of what it is that they wanted and needed, and I just misread that cue. So, but generally, I've been okay with that. When you were a sideman playing in bars, yeah, how did that become? How did you get into the studio and and do session work? Uh, well, I, I had drips and drabs in Toronto uh, of things. A um, little bit. Uh, not a lot. I started making... Uh, I started getting asked to play on blues records, um, which is funny because I'm not a blues guitar player. But, I, but I, I, I closed my eyes and thought I could do that. I did, I did it. And then uh, I got a call to play on a, on a record of... Um, they needed a guitar solo on a Holly Clow record. And I went to do it. And the producer was from New York, Craig Street. And Craig Street, I was just setting up to play. And he heard all the stuff I was doing 
getting my sound. Like I was moving the amp, they were moving the mics. And he loved what I was playing. And he said, I have this singer. I just produced her record two years ago. And she won a Grammy. And her name's Cassandra Wilson. And I said, I, you know, I bought that record. I gave it to my, my mother-in-law. I never heard it. I, I, never, I, I never heard it. I knew she was really beautiful because I saw the cover. Right. And I gave it to my mother-in-law who loved, loved it. And he said, well, I'm making a new record. I think you'd be a, a really good addition to it. That's where it started. And it took somebody from outside of Toronto to take me away from Toronto. Did you know at that moment that this you playing at a different level and no. this was an opportunity, or you didn't think of it that way? No, I just thought another I, gig. No, I didn't think that either. I really, I, I cherished that opportunity. I thought this is a this would be, if any time of all the questions you asked. The perfect person to answer this question would be my partner, because she would tell you the perfect answer, and I'd tell you what she'd say. She'd say, from that moment, which was my was my foray into playing with musicians that were outside of Canada, okay, that people knew about, some were famous, and some not. She would say. Uh, even to my last one is that everyone I thought was going to fail everyone I would pace she'd see me pace and I'd say why do they hire me why what the hell what am I going to give them like what am I give you know I'm, I'm going to last one hour with this Cassandra Wilson person you know I'm going to last one hour and she'd go uh, that's not going to happen and she'd say that I mean to and, that, and so I do Five records with Cassandra Wilson, okay? And on the last record, which was my fifth one, I said to her, oh, man, I'm going to last I'm gonna last one hour with her. She's going to send me back to Canada. <laughs> and I, this is after doing countless tours. So it's a constant thing I get into where I, I think about, I'm not going to be able to, I don't know. My, the well is dry here. I don't know. I don't have anything to say here. I don't, what am I going to do? What, why are they hiring me? What am I going to pack? What guitar? What am I going to bring? It's a part of the process. Well, I wish it wasn't. I, I, I don't. I certainly am not uh, conscious of that. That that would possibly that would that would be a process of being able to output creative creativity is thinking you're going to be fired. I would like to think that the process would be that you go and have a Danish, and you have a coffee, and you think about what you're going to bring, and then you map out and you look at the you look if they sent you music, you figure out this. That's not been mine. Mine has been that, first and foremost, they got the wrong guy. Even after five albums? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But that's, that's part of it, though. You know, it's part of your, your, your thing. You, know, you don't think... Most musicians are like that. You know? uh, my favorite musicians are the ones who are like that, or ones who don't think they may be the right guy for the job. There's nothing worse than seeing musicians who are, whose genes are ironed mm -hmm. you know everything's perfectly put I think there's something wrong you but know, I, ha I have been in studios where the musician wasn't right mm -hmm. and they would say I'm sorry but you, your drumming is not what I'm looking for right thank you sure which is kind of a weird thing I yeah. don't know if you've gone through that sure uh, me yeah not to my face no I've never had that I'm, I haven't had the thank you we'll call you Right. Well, I've never, I haven't had that. I may have had that on the, 
you know, the rec comes out and I play it on all, the whole record. And when the rec comes out, I'm not on the record. You know, that that's happened countless right. times. Where, again, it goes back to what I'm saying, that I didn't give them yeah. what, was the, what they wanted. They liked it at the time, but it might have been too outside of it, of what their thing was. It might have been... Who knows? Like, uh, you know, and that that's, the, I got paid for it. And that's their, it's a bit of a sting because you, like I said, it's not just, I play on a record. You kind of feel like you're part of that process and you feel like, and I, I don't feel like I let them down. I just feel like the first reaction I have is, what's wrong with you people? Like, I gave you, mm-hmm. I gave you everything. How can none of it be, how can none of it be good for you? And it hasn't been a lot of it, but there has been those things where they, where they don't. I maybe didn't give them what they wanted, but I I it's only what I had to go on. It's you know, you know, going looking into the uh, looking into that creative abyss and saying, okay, you had this, you tried this, and I I thought, well, let me try this. And I never, and I don't take direction. Like I'm not, I don't also don't take direction. I do what I want to do. I, I, I don't mean it in any way to sound like I'm being big-headed. I don't take direction. I, I have, I, I don't. I work great with producers if they let me do what I'm going to do. If they tell me what to do, I don't listen to them. They could say we, we hear uh, baritone guitar. I go okay, baritone guitar. I get up and I grab a mandolin. Right, because I don't hear it, and, and and they say no, and not, and I've never had a producer say, "No, I said baritone guitar. Put down that mandolin." They let me, f- and most of the time the mandolin will be on the record, but I just can't do that. Like I just something that I feel, which which makes me not a really great session man or or a side man in a lot of ways. If you. But it didn't seem to stop people that did hire me, and they hired me more than once to do s- stuff because they, they they knew that that's just the way it's going to be. There's a bit of an autism there that I'm going to go in. There's a, there's a musical on the spectrum thing going on with me that I just can't. I don't know. I I just don't have that. I I love it too much to give people what they really want. But can I, I, I have to give what I think is right for it. I can't get behind that mule. I, I, I just don't... I would never argue it. I would never say... It, it would never go to a place where I'd say, you're wrong, I'm right. What do you don't... I would, I would just think there's many ways to go about doing something. And let me just do what I think is right. And then if it doesn't work, let's go with what you think, which is wrong. I know it's right because I'm the guy playing it. And it's, it's so messed up because they are right because they're paying the money. But I just, I give the best if they just let me do what I do. But at this stage in your career, people are hiring you because of who you are yeah. and what you bring to That's the table. Right. At That's what right. point did that become the case? Was it after Cassandra? No. No. <clears throat> no, it, that, was a, that was a great gateway to a lot of things because the records I made with her were beautiful records like her records were beautiful she made beautiful records and they're great songs and a beautiful producer and there's a real team there like there's a real great thing going on there 
we were a team and the engineer was beautiful, like just beautiful. And it didn't last long, but it lasted enough to make an impression with other people to, to, to leave that camp. And then, but you, you know, it's, it's a fickle business that, you know, what, what sounds really good for this person, people hire you because they love what that person did, but they don't want to be that person either because they can't be. They mm-hmm. got to be themselves. And so, you know, so that, that there's a little bit of that. So you, you have to be, I was always flexible in the sense that I, I could do a lot of things uh, that, so I could, I could definitely adapt to somebody else. But my my nature is to be just to 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 do what I was going to do. So, know? and at this point, while you're working with her, are you thinking I want a solo career, or like what's your goal to be mm-hmm. the best session person, to be a sideman, mm-hmm. to be your solo artist, or all of the above? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I didn't. I the thought of being a session guy. I didn't really embrace that, to be honest with you. You know, I didn't collect things that would be... I collect things that I liked. Like, you know, I collected instruments that I liked. And I tried to make those work for the people I worked with. You know, I didn't... I knew what was favorable and what was the, what was the bee's knees for the moment. And I never bought into that. I, I, I bought into what I liked. And those were my own records. But when you have a bit of a, not an inferiority, inferiority complex, but when you have a little bit of insecurity and you're a musician, you, you'll follow your dream down so far uh, when you're doing it yourself in this makeshift world, this DIY world of the music business, which is, that's all it is now. But back then, which your question is, um, it didn't take me very long to realized that I couldn't promote a record that I had put out. And I put out a lot of records. I just, and I, I would accept it, that I, that it was too odd or it wasn't going to work. And I was, and I, it was always, it was a bit of a bitter pill for me to swallow as a, as a solo artist. That it just wasn't going to work, but I could see why it wasn't going to work because it was too damn ugly or it was too damn not this or too damn not that. And I would accept it. I'd say, well, that's just the way it is. And I'll learn. I'll learn from the next record. It'd be a red hot moment where I thought, I'm never going to do this again. And then a month later, I'm, I'm writing for another record. And I would do it. I'm really behind it, really behind it. And then I would get something that would just kind of knock me down a bit. Or I'd be busy. I'd have a tour. You know, I'd have a Nora Jones thing I, I was going to do. And it was convenient for me to not... It was really convenient for me to do something else. I wouldn't have to really address my own, my own, uh, uh, let's say, my own little foibles, my own, you know, things that I'm working on myself, which is that I, you know, maybe I wasn't deserving of it. You know, I don't know. But I kept doing it. I didn't stop, which is ridiculous when I think about it now, you know. I had to put together a discography recently of all the things that I put out myself on my own little label. And then I added the things I did on Northern Blues. And I added the things I did on Stony Plain. I added the things that I did on Blue Note. And I added the things I did on uh, on uh, 
on a European label, you know? And, and these, these are things, and there's some things, and there's 27 records I've put out wow. since 1998. So for, so for having, you know, at times grand insecurities about what I was doing as, a, as an artist in my own right, I certainly didn't let it stop me. I, there was a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a, of a, of a fuck you there, you know, that I, ah no I'm gonna do it you know and I kept doing it I just kept doing it and I kept paying the money to do it and man I'd get excited and I'd have a and I have a million seller you know I have a million in the seller you know I got a lot of records <laughs> you know and you, and you I'm okay with it I, every one of them I can look at them and I remember that they're really you know some people take photos and they put in a photo album and they can go right back to the smell of the cotton candy right. Well, I have that. I go, I have records. I put them, I know exactly what I was going through. I know all the goodness. And I know the, about the birth of my children and my, all the good and bad things, right? And they're, they're really encapsulated in my music as to what was happening to me. So that I see them as key elements of my development as an artist, is that they had to come out. Not, I don't know what would happen if I didn't do it. I, I can't say that, oh, I'd be in bad shape or... But I do know it was a very positive thing. And I keep moving forward and doing it. And, you know, so... But does... does I, I hope you don't mind me asking, no. but does money ever motivate what you do? Because I get the sense that you don't. And, and also the fact that you've had success working with people yeah. of bigger names like Nora Jones, whatever. And I presume that that gives you some financial security of some mm -hmm. sort. Mm -hmm. Does that change things that allows you to do more things that are way out there or do you not even look at it that way? Well, I have, I've been lucky. So I've been lucky. You know, I, I wrote songs for people. And, and because of that, I was, uh, it's afforded me the luxuries for me to tell you that money means nothing to me. You know, I'm not saying I'm not wealthy in the least. I, 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 I I'm not. I, I, you know, I, I don't have, uh, you know, I never, but I never had the trappings of things either. Like I didn't have to, I, automobiles were a big so what to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I never had the midlife crisis to feel I had to buy. And I always bought things I loved, which happened to be oddball guitars I loved so much. And I, and, and, recording equipment that I love to make music on. So so what happened was, and even, you know, I remember when I got offered the tour with Katie Lang. And there, I was going to turn it down because I had a gig with the Bright Brothers at Ultrasound. And I was going to make $75. I didn't want to, I didn't want to let, I didn't want to let go, let down my brothers. And it was my partner who said, "Okay, you got to stop it. You really have to. You really have to think about this now, because I was doing. I was turning down everything. Uh, and then at the height of Nora Jones' ride, she won eight Grammys. I quit because I I wanted to be at home. And like I said, so I I wasn't motivated by the money, and the money was really good actually. But I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't see that as being." I was happy, 
I was happy working with her. I was happy being on the road with her. I was happy being home. I was happy making records. And I couldn't have everything. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have all those things. So I had to pick what made me happier. It wasn't what made me sad. None of it made me sad. I was happy. So it was easy for me. I said, well, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to do this. And, uh, and it, I can only tell you, I'm sitting here with you in my kitchen, and I'm happy with the choices I've made. It's been rough things, and there's been... I've jumped out of many a plane without a parachute. Many. And I... And if I and then one of the things I have to say that if I didn't like the movie, I got up and I left. Like, I never stayed with anything. When I found that something wasn't happening, I quit. Right. Like, I didn't even think about it. Like, I once once that nerve was hit for me, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't feel like that was what I wanted to do. It, and it wasn't as simple as it doesn't make me happy. It, just, I just, it didn't feel comfortable to me. Uh, and I could put up with a lot of stuff. Like, I could really... I really could feel that I could, I had the, you know, a strong, I can walk with a pebble in my shoe for a very, very, very long time. A very long time. And so for me to walk away from something is, it's just, I just had the moment to be able to kick off my shoes. It wasn't that I, and I kept the shoes at the pebble and then I just learned how to adjust it a bit, you know, and put them back on. It was easy for me to think that way. And I, it always blows my mind when I hear about musicians who are not happy doing what they're doing. Now it's a different game. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's been now, now equals five years ago to now. It's not just now. I understand it totally. I understand why my brothers and sisters, you know, and who are in the in the game of going on the road. I I understand the unhappiness and I understand doing things that you don't want to do because you have a family I understand it totally my I was I was a different day the door was open more but but even the decision I mean that was had you decided to go on the road that would have been a huge commitment away from family right yeah and that would have been the motivating factor of you saying it's not really worth not seeing my family for Ridiculous amount of time. Right. Well, they wanted me to go on the road. Uh, I didn't have a problem. My my partner was thought it was ridiculous that I jumped out of that plane. She didn't get it. She thought, "What are you doing?" Like I. But I had I visualized something, and my visualization was pretty intense, and it was that I would be, I'd be, I'd be sitting outside my house. And uh, my babies would be at my feet, and one would, you know, they'd be one probably be in diapers, and the other two would be running around with smiles, and and I'd have a glass of red wine, and I'd be sitting across from my my partner, and uh, that was greater than playing Radio City Music Hall for the fifth time. Mm-hmm. It just seemed to be, and 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 the story be told, I never did sit outside with the wine and the kids in the bed. <laughs> I, but I had other things though. Right. I was chasing after them. Right. While the wine was spilling all over my shirt. <laughs> but, but it was there. That was my reality. I mean, that, and nobody could choke that out. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. It was. 
It was just something I had built up in my mind as to something that was important to me. And I can tell you, in those days, and even days before that, musicians were always doing that. They were always making those decisions. Mm -hmm. And it could have, and some musicians could have saved their lives by actually going on the road. But they ended up sticking around and they got into bad habits and they died. You know, so there's, there's nothing wrong with going away for two years of your life. And you, and you, you can raise beautiful children by being away too. There's ways of doing these things. Mm-hmm. There's not the road musician does not equal bad. And that's a, I, 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 I was having conversations with, with or people were having conversations with me where I just stopped I stopped uh, engaging because I didn't agree with it. I, I, I would say you know it'd be obvious I wasn't going on the road. And uh, well, it's good you didn't go on the road because you know you had your kid. No, I didn't feel that way. I did. I, 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 I just had this thing that I just wanted to be in a different place. I, it's not that I felt my son is going to end up in a chain gang, or my daughter. You know, horrible things about my daughters. I didn't think that for a second. I, I didn't have that ego to think that I could be home and I would influence their lives so great that they should have their father. I didn't buy into that because it's really beautiful. My friends who have been on the road forever have beautiful children who have, who are beautiful relationships with their kids, and they are in their children have children, and they ever and it's beautiful. They're beautiful fathers and mothers who raise from afar by having great partners. And I have a great partner, but that wasn't what it was about. It was just about being. You can't be in places at one time. I just preferred to be in a different place. I I I could, you know, I could really, I could look really good right now by saying, yeah, you know, well, I did it for the kids, but I did it for me. I, that's all, really. And and it's not like you don't go on the road. No, it's not like you've never taken no, I a love road gig. I love it. And do you still do a lot of studio gigs? Uh, not really. Uh, I do. I do things that it, that it, when people call me, um, I try to do them here at the house. And uh, but if that feeling that I have, I go in the studios and play. Not not as much as it used to be, but they're all great. The last thing I did was beautiful, so I look at that as a beautiful record. And and so they come up, you know. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about your your process of creating new projects, mm-hmm. and the latest being Johnny Goldtooth and the. Chevy Casanovas. Yeah. So tell me about how that came about. Uh, are you constantly writing, or are you, no? You're I, motivated I, by the next project. Yeah, I only write what I need to write. You know, I can't. I'm not that type of writer. But if, if I have a deadline, I really, I love. That's why I love writing. Uh, if I have something that I, I know, I get tired of a certain repertoire. And I want to add something in it. That's why I get inspired to do it. But. Uh, but the, the Johnny Goldtooth was an idea I had of a of a character, and it, it was a. I guess it's part of me, really. But it was a character that was a not so right character, who was a little bit off. And he, uh, it was a he for sure, and he was, he was tattooed, and he had a gold tooth, and. Uh, and uh, 
dangerous kind of person personality. That was the original one. He would be kind of dangerous. So how does that come to you? Like well, how? that came to me because I was on a session. And I was on a session making a record with uh, a really good artist. And, and they wanted to replace Mark Knopfler because Mark Knopfler was on the record. They wanted to replace because they didn't like it. Not because of, you know... And they they thought that I could come up with something better or something more interesting than what he had done. And, and he had done something really beautiful. His sound was beautiful, and it was him. Like it sounded like him. Right? Mm-hmm. And he, was, he sounded perfect for it. And he completed the track. Uh, the, the answer would have been, I think you got this. But I, I was at the end of the session, and they, I and I thought, well, I'll, I'll give this a spin. And I was empty. I had nothing. It was uh, the sound of the pail hitting uh, sand. There was no water there. And I, and so my walk to my little guitar station, which was two rooms removed from where they were, right. I just thought of a guy. I thought of this guy in, with the name, Johnny Goldtooth. And what would Johnny Goldtooth? He just came out of my head. Johnny Goldtooth. What would he play? I imagined him. I imagined it to his fullest of this character. He wouldn't be pretty. He'd care about it, but he'd play tough and he'd play believing it. He'd believe it and he would take it and make it. So I said, listen, I got. I have an idea. Let me just, rather than be a solo, let me do a solely. And solely what it is, is you do a, you arrange it so that it's a lot of instruments playing that part. So you take a melody and you harmonize it and you play it and you do rhythm behind the part. It's a solely section, okay? Let me do this. So, so just give me five tracks and I'm going to, let me put down the first one. And it was twang because that's what Johnny would, Johnny Goldtooth, the character I had. And I built it up, these little parts and they were bluesy kind of and the bands were overbent and it was fast vibrato and it was, it was ragged. And I loved it. I really loved it. And I went in and I told them. They And they showed, they demonstrated, the producer and the artist, they they articulated a, a, a warmth for, for Johnny. And, uh, and it, it was, it was actually beautiful, actually, because it was so odd. But it was, it really made you go, wow. Like it just, it took it in a totally different way but it was respectful, right? And uh, I, uh, I was excited about it. I did. I, I, I so much so that it, it bled into me creatively. It, bled, it came out of me uh, creatively, you know, in a, a, a weird place. Um, and I went home, and I, you know, I just started thinking about Johnny Goldtooth, and then life being what it was, it disappeared. Months later, the record came out. And they sent me the record, and I was excited because I wanted to go back and hear what Johnny did. And I put it on, and it was gone. There's a Mark Knopfler song. (laughs) (laughs) And that made me, more than ever, it made me want to write for Johnny Goldtooth. I wanted to make a record for Johnny Goldtooth immediately. And I had already, I always imagined, I was carrot dangled a job. A year, a year before this, and the job was to go to El Paso and to make a record with musicians from Juarez. 
and it, we were going to record it on a pecan farm. Yeah, I couldn't make this up. And it was in the studio, and I was so excited about it. I was so excited about it. Because I love, more than anything, I love the music that came from the border, the Texas border, with Mexico. I love it. And I was so excited about it. And it never happened. But I got in my brain, El Paso and Juarez, and so I did a lot of research. I read a little watched a few DVDs and read about Juarez, which is a sad place. It's very, very, very sad. Very sad. And the poverty level. And I got into this character of Johnny would be from El Paso. And then Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. And he had this... He had this ridiculous idea of building a wall... And uh, that totally got me insanely uh, creative. And so what I did is, January 1st of this year, I started writing it, the record. And I wrote it with all... I wrote it, I put 10, so, uh, uh, ten songs originally. I, I have a thing where I do 11 songs on all my records. So I, I wrote 10, and I wrote them every day. I wrote the song, and I recorded it. It was done. I did it. I recorded it and do it. I did everything myself. I played all the instruments. And I did it in my house in Guelph, where I was living at the time. And uh, and I wanted to make it... I wanted to make it... Uh, happy. I Actually, I, and I didn't have to... Because that music, that, that area has always been that way for me anyway. So I... Everything had a, had a, its ability to weave its way into into uh, this place of happiness. The music is happy, and it was. And I recorded it, and I got it done in, in eleven days. And I really wanted it to be this thing. And I got busy making make. I got busy, and I and the record. I didn't know what I had, to be honest with you. And so I came back to it about two months later, and I listened to it, and I just. My character of Johnny was this ass-pinching character who was, who had been married five times and was a chain smoker and he was hard luck guy and and he was a badass. And then when I heard the record, I thought, he's a good man, he's a happy man. He nobody could write music like this unless you were a happy man. And he's writing from a beautiful place. It's coming from. It's gritty, but he's. I didn't hear anything like that before. Like I, I really, when I heard it, because I, I was really in a spirit. You know, I was in a spirit world. Everybody and my, I don't know what happened, but I was left alone in that period. So I was left alone to create, and I was just kind of on fire to write. And I didn't. It was going to be a instrumental record. I knew that for sure because Johnny was instrumental. And I, and I thought I got another record in me to write a lyric another record with, with Johnny singing it. Like I could definitely do that. But I didn't. I, I finished that one. And then uh, when I made that record, I I wanted it to have a nice home. I wanted it to... But I, I wanted it to be looked after uh, with press. So yeah. and I know that Holger Peterson had a nice thing going on with Mark Pucci. I wanted to go to these places that I that I, I don't think I, I wouldn't get it if I put it up myself. I couldn't get there just given with my machinery. Right. You know, 
he has a bigger machine than I have. And I thought, well, I want to take this to a bigger machine. And so Holger wonderfully is, is putting out the record. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. So I, so that's that's the whole tale of Johnny Goldtooth. Uh, so I can embrace him really. Like I, I can, you know, it's, it's it, he's a character that I kind of, He's close to me because while I was making the record, I I I had to, I really had to visualize his own inner politics. But I also had to visualize, and it's an instrumental record, which is kind of weird because you you know people you speak politically about something, and I can tell you about a lyric I wrote, but this is instrumental, mm-hmm. and it had to come from a place that was happy. That I couldn't be dour. It had to have some power. And I could write from that honestly because I really felt what was going on. Like I really felt what it must feel like for these people. And I, 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 and I can't imagine how hard it'd be. And I thought being a guy who maybe had a regional success, and what, can I, what would he write? He'd write things that are happy for, the, for, his pe- for people on both sides of the border, both. And I thought, this is what I want to hear. This is So... I thought, well, what does he look like? So I started taking pictures like off the internet of matadors because I thought that was because I imagine that's what he looked like. And I found one character who had an eye patch, and I took, I hung them up in my room, in my in my studio, and I look at the pictures and I and I had a guitar built that I thought would be a guitar that Johnny would play, and I bought a guitar that was already put together, but I had to get it augmented with machinery on it that I think he would. That would be part of his process. Of, so I did it. I, I did that, and I recorded the whole record with that guitar. It was hard to play. I learned how to play guitar a little bit differently. That I, it was all. It was all with posture. It wasn't so much with your fingers. It's how the guitar would feel. Where would it sit on the leg? And I look at the pictures, and I, this took me some time. I, I, even though it took the, not long to record it, but when I went back. I, I re-recorded the guitars because I got who this guy was after taking a break. And I, I found the sound that I thought he would, would embrace. And then, uh, then there's these pictures, these Matador things. I was fixated with it. And then I had a photo shoot because I needed to be this guy. So I, I, I got a photo shoot together and I rented three Matador outfits that I felt they didn't fit me because I'm tall but I, but I, I I was able to figure it out and I got a you know I I, I took gold uh, gold nail polish did my tooth with, gold, with nail polish the one tooth I didn't know what tooth but I figured that'd be good the eye makeup my daughters helped me with that and then I did all that and then and then weirdest thing was that I I just it was really odd that I was going for this thing and then I I remembered, you know, I, I inherited, I have such a big family, I inherited the photo albums for the time being. So they, they stay with me and then they go to another sibling. And so I had the photo albums. And I remembered, I've been out of touch with it. My father and my mother put them together, but there there was no logic to their order. They'd have my first communion. Then beside my picture, it would be eight or nine gutted deer hanging from a tree that my dad had shot. Hmm. Weird, like like that happened ten years later. So there's no order, but I remembered this red photo album that was in tattered. It was tattered, so I went to it, and there's a picture of my father dressed up in a matador outfit, the year I was born, playing a beautiful bell tone bass, huh. 
And he had this, and I went, that's been in my head for a long time, that picture of the Matador guy. So all those things kind of came together for this, my Johnny Goldtooth record. So it was really a record I, I've been working on for a very, 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 very long time. You know, How, like on the last album, which I, I think is a beautiful album as well, the Ernesto mm. and <clears throat> the Thank you. Thank you. There is a lot of backstory there. How important is it for your creative process to have, to create, you know, backstory for each of the mandolin players in the orchestra mm-hmm. or this Johnny Goldtooth character? Like, is that is that a necessary part of the process? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's easier for me to be somebody else. Be- I mean, just because it's also part of my personality that there's... You know, you, you you can have different personalities. You don't have to. You don't have to be diagnosed with a with a with a you know, mm-hmm. with another personality. You know, personality disorder. I I don't have that, but but I definitely, I can I can just it just opens me up to be clever or not clever. So I, all the records I've made are not very clever, and I and I wanted to make something that was very clever. I wanted to, I wanted to arrange for an orchestra, and I wanted to. You know, and that the Ernesto and Delilah, um, that uh, that preceded the record. Well, the record before was field recording, and field recording was my first mandolin orchestra record. And I always, for the longest time, I visualized having a pop record that was backed up by a mandolin orchestra. I thought that would be really cool to have that, and I I just followed that down, and then I I filled up every space I could possibly fill. Uh, with the arranging, like I, if I had two beats, I could fill that up with a flurry of notes, and then I can reharmonize that. Then I can take that and then do a, I can take it and then write the opposite to it, and then I can echo it in the next part. And I write it out. I mean, I write it like you write an orchestra. And so I was doing it, and I thought, well, this is cold, totally going against my nature of, like you know, the songs. Some of the songs were two, three chords. Uh, on Ernesto Delilah, on Delilah, I'm talking about. And then what I did is I, because it's a double record, okay? So so that I just arranged and arranged and arranged and arranged. And then I love Brazilian music. And I spent time in Brazil. I, I have two records out with, with uh, Ciro Baptista. And uh, I love that music. So I wanted to make a record that was a mandolin orchestra playing music from it. And so I created a character whose name was Ernesto Chiari, who was a, a writer who committed suicide, but he didn't. That was the idea. So I wrote not being me, and then, and then I ranged it from somebody else who was an egomaniac, who was a, a narcissist, who, who would fill up the space of everything. He couldn't leave my songs alone. And I thought, if I can do that, I can just have a lot of fun with this. So I created Thomas Dooley, the third and he had a long line of a man in orchestra. Then I thought, well, the man in orchestra, what, what if I wrote for a husband and wife? What if I really thought they would, you know, they're getting along some days, not so days. I could write a lot with that. So I, I created a husband and wife who played mandola and mandolin. And then I then, then it started from there, and I made a 16-piece orchestra. Then I made a 103-year-old orchestra by having a presence. I created a... You know, website for them, and I created a 300-member list. I was on the road with Hugh Laurie when I when I 
came up with this idea. So every night when I go to my hotel room, I just think of names off the top of my head. I add them to the list of who's in the orchestra. Right. Then I made up, I did research on mandolin orchestra. I always loved mandolin orchestras. And then that, so that's how I started that. And then once it came time to actually get down to brass tacks and create it, it was so simple for me. It was no, I created such a, an understory, you know, that I could, all I had to do was just put a, start doing it. Because I, I was, never scratched my head. I never had a moment of, uh, of having a slump. You know, because I, I, it was it was all written for me, like it was all done. I, I so that's why I created it because I had a slump, and uh, I felt like I couldn't write again. Like I just felt like I couldn't really write. I, the Sisters Euclid were twenty years on, and I felt like I I written ten records for the Sisters, and I felt like I couldn't write anymore. I I thought I'd said everything I could say about the Sisters. We had a new member in the band, and I. He inspired me, but I couldn't write for him. I just didn't know why that couldn't. And it was bugging me that I couldn't write. So then once I thought, well, how do I get through this? And then it just worked out for me. And then Johnny, was that scary? No, not really, because I I did I've done so much before, and also to be honest, I don't have a following. Big, I don't have a big following, so it didn't really. I didn't have people knocking on my door. To, I didn't have a manager saying you got to you have to do something new here. Come on, come on. There's nobody. The only person that's knocking on my door is me. The only person that's trying to get it. The only record company really who wants something from me is me. It's my label, you know. Which seventeen records on that thing, you know. And I self funded it. I never asked the government for any money. I did it myself. You know, so the only pressure I put on myself is me putting the pressure on myself. So I didn't, I so, I, so for that reason, you know, there's no sense of a creative suicide because I can't, I can't. Mm-hmm. Well, then who's asking for it? That was a big question. Well, nobody's really asking for this thing, which means I get away with murder. How do you, how do you measure success? And maybe not success is the right word, but how do you quantify the, the process? Uh, well, if I like it, it's successful. You know, if I like it and I, it makes me smile and I think I did a good job, that's it. If I get, if somebody says something nice about it, that's really nice. That's, that's success. If I play a show and, you know, and people are happy doing that residency at the Arbor Room for 17 years with the sisters was, was very successful for me because... You know, I, I really learned about, you know, what it was like to feel responsibility to an audience. You know, people that, I, there was some unhappiness at times when people came. You know, when, when you have a regular, it wasn't the greatest thing sometimes because they were there drinking, mm-hmm. drugging, and would do whatever else in their lives. And when they disappeared from our lives, I felt good about that because I thought that they, I didn't have to see them again. I thought that they, they, got their life back on track but I had realized what kind of therapy it was to go see a band and how important it was to, to go see something live and to see what you can do for people and I didn't have to you know I didn't have to I just had to sh- show up and be there and be 
in the moment to be part of their their moment and and I I you know I I kind of that's pretty successful to me like that that is I couldn't ask for anything better than that to feel like I and I I don't want to say I made a difference in somebody's life but I definitely feel that at least with that with that residency we made a lot of people happy for a long time for you know people came and they loved it and and it, whether it was your cup of tea or not we we gave to that we i gave everything i had to that and I, I you know at times when i sh- maybe you know i had babies and i was i was i was living in toronto and i was living sometimes two hour drive and i get home at six in the morning and you know at times and get up with the babies and i kept thinking i'm gonna die behind the wheel here but come monday night i was back at that thing right giving it i was was giving it everything i could give uh so that's pretty successful and you feel you get some of that back so playing with the records i'm such an optimist like i really believe that people are gonna love Johnny Goldtooth. When they hear this, they're gonna love it, and they're gonna love the show. They're gonna love our little documentary. They're gonna love it. It's gonna make them laugh. They're gonna love it. That's the only thing I, I go on is that that's gonna make some some folks happy. And I'm gonna and if I could tour it, man, would that ever be great? Just to get on the plane or get in the van with you know my my compadres, that would be amazing. Give me, you know, I'm gonna get some. I got some bad news for you. You're gonna just gonna do house concerts. I'd be happy. I say, really, it's awesome. That's great. You stay in their house. That's okay. You have to sleep with their Malamute. That's okay. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's okay. Like, get to play. So those things are they're, they're little things. They're like, you know, I. I figured that every day, if I could, if I, if I could treat myself to something every day, when I got on the road and times got tough, I would just know that if I had that every morning, if I could have a, you know, a tea or a coffee with a cheese Danish, my day was made. I'd always find one thing that would be awesome. Like I'd find a great cafe. I'd find a great. Uh, Something that would float my boat for the day. That that would that generally made me pretty happy. I have to ask if you've toured with Nora Jones and yeah. with with Hugh Laurie, and I presume you're touring at a level that's pretty high mm-hmm. in nice places and and not stuck yeah. in the back of a horrible van or whatever. Yeah, is it difficult to not have that to go on tour and not have the first class treatment? No, no, not when, not when you're doing your own thing. I think if I went on the road and I was playing in a blues band and we're playing in a nondescript blues bar playing Steve Ray Vaughan shit. No, I mean, I just mean playing stuff that people are yelling out. And sharing the room with bass player. Yeah. I I think the first, to be honest with you, the very first thing I go to, though, is what am I doing? Where, what music am I playing? Where am I playing it? 
they're, they're sharing the room. I don't. Okay, that's 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 something that's not the first thing that would would be the would, would deter me from right. not doing. It's what am I doing there? I mean, I'm specifically talking about like music, like my own music. I'm not talking about going on the road and playing with a friend who's it's his his or her right. journey. That's that's a different thing. But but my own thing, uh no, I would I would I would say like put it this way. If on those tours that I did where the, where it was a really good really we were treated well, we were pampered, okay? And that's most of the tours I've done, to be honest with you, is, are really good tours, okay? Well, there's been times in those tours that we would collectively go out and we go and we go to a bar and we hear a good band. I would have given anything. If, if, if you said, okay, you can, you can just do this. This is where you're actually playing with your band. The sisters are Johnny Goldtooth. I say, my bags are packed. Like I would, because it wasn't, I'm, I'm not being a prat. I appreciate all of it. I really do. Really do. I love those people. But doing your own gig, and because you have to believe that if you can really, if you're allowed to testify, you're going to be heard. You're gonna, they're going to hear it. If, if you're allowed that opportunity, if you believe in what you're doing, you're not really, you're not really rolling the rock up the hill. Like you've you've already done that. You you got the rock up the hill. In other words, you have the tour. Um, you you you're just gonna play. You're just gonna do what's in, in, innate. You're gonna do what's inside your body. Uh, and you have to have. You have to believe. With what you have inside you, that you're doing the right thing, and that and that will actually get to deaf ears or it'll get to people that will appreciate it. I, I believe that. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a confidence that I feel, oh, this music's really gonna... I just think that if you have, if you're, cut your eyes closed and you're spinning all over the place and you're playing, you're gonna do okay. You're gonna, you're gonna do all right. It's gonna be good. At, at, this, at this journey in my life, mm-hmm. because I have, I have a lot to fall back on because I, it's wider. Uh, I, I know I, I can play you know I, that's a given like I know how to play I don't have to struggle with that uh, and I'm not struggling with that I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on stage unprepared you know that's I already did that work I, I, it's a lifetime of work I've already done that I just have to have the door open you know like anybody any musician you just need the door open and you you just take to what you do that's what you it's your training. It's your, it's your fifty thousand plus hours you've done. You know you're you're a specialist, and you, and people pick up on that. They get well, yeah, that's pretty great. It's just finding that room. It's finding that place, and the idea of that it doesn't go into that a Ramada Inn or a uh, Hilton or whatever it is, whatever beautiful hotels there are out there. They're all the same. When you close the door, they're all the same, really. I mean, after, you know, I, you can get a two-star where your safety is, is, you know, it's a little bit funny. But 
ultimately, you, you are going back to your room with a head full. You are going back to the head. You're not, and you know, you're not, you're there to, to, to testify, to do, your, to do what, you, what it is what you're about. It's not to, to rest your bones on, you know, the absolute comfort if you don't get that. I, I, I don't get it, really. But I don't understand it. But I, but I, I do think there is a degree, uh, for sure. There is, a, there is a line that you guys say, well, we may not make the night here. <laughs> or we're going to have bed bugs, or we're going to have something. But there is a thing where you go, well, I don't have to have that. Right. You know. So my final question mm. is... When you look back on that kid who just came to Toronto at the age of 17, mm. hoping to become a musician, yeah. and you look back on your life now, tell me about that journey and how, how you look back on this journey you've taken. Well, well, there's potholes, you know, there, there was potholes and there was... It was, it, was, it was important to take the bike out a few times. It was important to, to learn how to rechain it. It's important to know how to change the tire. And it's really important to know to stay away from the potholes. You know? and, and my path has been, uh, like anybody, it's been rife with potholes and also with, with a lot of nice uh, declines and, and a lot of inclines, you know, where you're pedaling really, really, really hard really really hard to points where you thought it may not be worth it you know but for fear of stopping and you had and maybe maybe it's been time just to keep with my uh, my metaphors that you had to walk the bike up too you had to walk it up the hill and you you get to the you get to the top of it and you get and it's maybe not what you thought it was and at times it was better than it could ever have been and that that's been sort of my journey. Is that I've I've uh, in all that and all that stuff. It you know I, I it, it worked out. Things worked out really well. Uh, um, and I didn't. Most important is that I never did it alone. I didn't do any of it alone. You know I didn't. And that was one thing that I you know I was saying earlier about being seventeen. That I felt alone. I felt the city of being alone. I felt so whenever I. When I see somebody who's young and they tell me that it's not like home to them, I, I, without failing, I say it's going to get better. It's going to, you're, going to, you're going to lose your, your address book from home. Those numbers of your friends at home are going to go in the back of the book. And you're going to, it's going to be front-lined front with all your friends that you're meeting right now. And I say, put my name in your book. You know, I'm I'm there. I, I I would if you want to get together, have a coffee. You know, I'm in. Because I know that journey is it's it's tough, but you never do it alone. You you don't. People come and people go, but the, the people that come are part of your journey. Everybody has the dream, especially music, because you are playing with other musicians who are they are the ones who will keep you employed. You know, those are the ones that you. You'll keep them employed. They're all, we need a bass player. I just work with this guy. That's Ian D'Souza and I go back a long time. We were, I met him at a rehearsal at uh, the, the Isabella Hotel in the basement. We were rehearsing for Sherry Keen. That's where I met Ian. And he and I, and I suggested him for, 
thousands of gigs, and he, well, few. He owes me, but uh, <laughs> no. He, but 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 we have this thing together. But but my my the whole concept of the road is is yeah you are, but you're not alone in that. And I think that that was the that's been the most beautiful part of the journey for me is that I've had really good people on my journey who are. are will always be on it. They may not be in my life my life anymore, but they're still, I, ca I carry them with me. They're still, you know what I mean? Part of you. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, I have such respect for you, and it's such an honor to be able to sit and talk Thank to you. you. So, Thank you. Thank you.